<laughs> we have so many episodes where um, you have, in between our, our points we're making or things we're talking about, you have hinted over and over again that I am a, a writer of sorts and that I have, um, you, I think you, you use the phrase award-winning writer over and over again. I always, I, I try to cut as many of those as possible, by the way. I don't want people to know that. Um, so out of curiosity, not because I want to, you know, shame you on the podcast. I'd never do that. But um, do you know what I write? Yeah, you write fantasy. Um, you write f- kind of a mix of other th- of all kinds of things. You do some ghost writing on on different genres, but I would say fantasy is number one. Right. And you write this podcast, which I guess you call this nonfiction self help, self awareness. Yeah. We've we've made up our own um, <laughs> classification where our genre is self awareness, which is is definitely kind of self helpy. But um, when we talk, up- trying to start our own religion, trying to start our own religion over here. Yeah, well, that's that's why I moved to Texas is so that I could find a patch of land for us to put our <laughs> cult slash church. Uh, Your own Waco. I was just about to say, I'm thinking Waco. I've I found a nice area. You you may yeah. Um, okay, so I, I will. I will kind of let the cat out of the bag. I, I don't... My experiences in writing should never reflect on, like, the subjects we're doing. I never want to be like, I'm the award-winning writer, so you should listen to what we're saying. It's more like, I write as well as I can every time I sit down to tell a story. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but my experiences are, um, I was in Willamette Writers um, in Portland, and I won the K Snow Award there. And I also moved on to um, Rides of the Future, which is uh, sci-fi and fiction. So I started in fantasy, moved to sci-fi. I have since gotten, oh, geez, like six or seven uh, silver honorable mentions and a bunch of honorable mentions, um, which that's the biggest contest in the world. Like the reason I do that one uh, regularly uh, almost every quarter is because it is so huge. And you know how you stand... um, with competitive short stories when you get to that level. Um, how long does it, and I, this is a, you know, it's different, but how long does it take? I mean, I think everyone has this kind of romance. They, they all, I think all of us have that. I want to write a book someday in us, right? Yeah. Professional writing, the, the best selling books we see at Barnes and Noble. How long do those writers write to get to that level? That is a darn good question. Um, it it uh, the the boring answer is, it depends on the writer. Um, some of them take ten years to write their first book, um, but I'm gonna say by and large, um, writing today in this era, um, you write a single book throughout your lifetime and put it out. Unless you have just an incredible publisher and an amazing marketing budget, you can expect about a hundred people to buy your book, maybe. Um, because people just haven't heard of you. And those people will take the longest to write. Um, writers who write prolifically and are bestsellers, they write about four books a year, which, which means about 70,000 words in three months. Um, so when you, when you break that down, you're, you're looking at, you know, like a thousand words a day at, <laughs> at the minimum. Um, and Joe being my podcast partner, I've often... Because I've seen it, you know, the few years we've worked together now, three years, he writes 3,000 3, 
um, polished words a day. Are you still on that pace? I am. Um, I miss a day here or there because I'm currently working on a trailer to record and write in. Um, But I... To my partner's uh, disappointment, I will still try to do that every day, and sometimes that means I'm I'm up until the wee hours or, or super late, or I'm up really early like today, and I I, I still try to hack it. Um, now I'm I'm not doing that because I'm working on a book. I'm doing it just simply because I love it and I want to stay competitive. And um, we are now working on a book for this podcast because we've covered so many great stories. Um, but that's. Uh, the the thing I want to like I've said this at our speaking clubs over and over again. Um, you do not have to be a award winning writer to tell a good story. Uh, in fact, you you barely have to be. I mean, like you, you don't have to be an award winning speaker either. We have met so many people who are just naturally amazing storytellers, and all it really takes is being able to recognize a good story or recognize why your stories aren't working. So. I hope you don't mind if I kind of spoil our subject today, is we're going to sort of explain or or walk through the beats of how to tell an expert story in your everyday life, Um, because that's so, so incredibly important. Like, you don't know or recognize you're doing it. Like, you may not know or recognize you're doing it, but you're telling stories every day to convince people to, you know, follow you, to, to... remember to do the chores to you know pay you at work you have to tell stories to get people on your side you have to tell stories to make sure your friends take your side over your exes who is spreading lies about you and she's telling stories too <laughs> so like everything we do we, we we started telling stories out of the cave to convince each other to go on a mammoth hunt with us or to go to war with neanderthals with us we we use stories we're built for stories our brain is built for it to recognize a good story and to listen and, and to side with the person telling it. So we, we want to, in this podcast, basically I show you two things. How do you identify a good story when you're hearing it or telling it? And how do you tell a good story that will make your children listen better and your boss will give you a raise and, and make your spouse swoon? Probably. Is that true? I can see a book about that. That uh, those you know those corny titles like "How to Get Everything You Want from Storytelling." Right. <laughs> but I think, I think, I think really good, really good communicators and really good leaders and storytelling go hand in hand. And uh, some people are natural at it, but most aren't. Most I kind I kind of to me it's it's similar to people who say, "Oh, I'm terrible with names," but the people who are good with names work on it. And the same thing with storytelling. I think when you can. You can get people to listen. You can get people to move if you tell them in a story that you just don't get the same with telling them the facts. I a thousand percent agree. The the people who are good communicators are good storytellers, and they have practiced it. If you think they are natural at it, you are fooling yourself. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet. Now, 
besides me badgering you about this, um, why do you want to talk about this subject today? Well, I think it's it's one of those that we have gone more than 100 episodes <laughs> and we have presented story after story after story and we've never actually explained that process or or really even covered the fundamentals. And usually when we talk about storytelling, um, it we are only doing it to sort of like explain the process to people who might want to try podcasting or public speaking. We've never actually gone through and, and explained, you know, the micro things to, to recognize while you're, you're inventing a story quickly. Um, we, we, I I think I fall into the trap, especially anybody who's, who's experienced with story falls into the trap of when you try to explain it, you get into heavy stuff like story arc and the hero's journey and like models like Freytag's triangle or Joseph Campbell's story cycle. You get into really dense stuff. And what I really want to do, and I, I think your questions a couple weeks ago, you, you were talking about doing an episode like this. Um, it made me realize that all we really need to do, we don't need to teach people, you know, the strategies of war. We just need to teach people how to point and shoot. And and so I, I realized <laughs> we could do that in an hour. We, we could, we could, we could sit down and we could talk about here are the very little fundamentals that will make you aware when you're doing a good job with a story and and we're talking yeah talking about fundamentals um what do you think is lacking in most professionals awareness of just fundamental storytelling i think the thing that's lacking the most oftentimes is they don't have a value change and they don't have i mean like even if they have a point that doesn't necessarily mean value change. And we will get into in a couple of minutes what value change is. But just to be very brief about it, um, a lot of times they'll be talking about rambling about, you know, the process that went into something. They're not trying to convince you and they're not trying to um, get you to really understand something. They're just sort of like drifting about process. Well, this is kind of the storytelling thing. And this is what I, uh, my interest is in this story and how I even came to work with Joe was I was out looking to become a better storyteller. Um, one of the big things I think about storytelling is you can tell a lot more information. You can make it a lot shorter and a lot more interesting and easier for the listener to listen to. The less is more. So we work on that and, um, you know, the corporate training, Joe and I do training for corporate people and we take, we take whole, whole pages, paragraphs and turn them into sentences and they're more impactful. Right. Um, and on the storytelling, to work on my s- speeches and, and how I came to know Joe was, I, I was out, I read every book there was about storytelling, just <laughs> as you were reading off the list. And you're right, a lot of them are dense. A lot of them are, you have to already be an advanced, a very advanced, educated writer to even understand them, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, not, not not to mention try to try try to go and sit in front of a I was gonna say typewriter in front of your computer and and write a book off of them. Oh, absolutely! If you ever read like um, story by McKee, it you go into it with the expectation that you have read like ten to twenty classic screenplays to even understand what he's talking about, or if you read like John Truby's story, you go into it with the expectation that you've already read about Freytag's Triangle or the Campbell Cycle or or things like that. So it it. It gets extraordinarily dense very fast. <laughs> well, then I went through this stage where I was buying every book. So I want to make my speeches better. So I bought all these TED Talk books on how to write a best TED Talk. 
and the ones by TED Talks. And they go on and on, Joe, about the strength of stories. And they brag about their platform. But they don't tell you how to write the fucking thing. Right. <laughs> it's just because you already believe in it, too. That's why you bought the book that says how to write better stories for TED Talks. <laughs> but I notice myself, every book I've ever read, every speech I've ever heard in public, and I've heard a lot in my, in my years, my corporate years, the only thing you take away from those is the, the, the short story that the speaker said or, or the part of the book. You can remember those years later. You don't remember anything else, but you'll remember that short story. That's how powerful it is. And so I start studying this and saying, well, how do I become a better communicator? That's how I realized working with Joe that there's actually structures, there's actually hacks, tricks. I guess tricks is not the good word. But there's a structure that you can learn that makes all your stories more interesting. That is very well said. And the ultimate goal of these, uh, the ultimate goal of any story is not to convince somebody or entertain somebody. It's to leave them with an emotion. If you are practicing storytelling, especially these short stories we're going to be talking about, like just these these little everyday stories, at the end, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make somebody feel something specific. Not something vague and nebulous, not saying, you know, uh, I've, I've got an issue, I want you to feel the same way about this issue that I do. You are aiming for, if you look at the emotional color wheel, you are aiming for one specific emotion out of 180. So you, you really have to do a good job of knowing, you know, the, the parts and pieces of what you're saying. Um, and we... I think that's a, I think that's a good one. If you can make that, you know, there's an old country song that says that. If you can make people feel the way you do inside, uh, Joe and I did wrote a speech about Didier Lumbar. This was a CEO, uh, France Telecom, who pushed his employees to the point of suicide, and uh, you know, double digits amount of people commit suicide. Well, when I gave that speech um, and told the story, the, every place I gave it, people would come to me afterward, and they'd still be gritting their teeth. And they were still outraged about what he did and that he actually got away with it, didn't get punished. And I thought, well, that's a good speech where you can move them. um, You can get somebody's reaction that you can actually see it on their face and in their voice. Right. (laughs) Sadly, this one was was anger. But I guarantee they'll always remember that speech and that story. If they don't remember me, they'll remember that. Exactly. We um, we know from public speaking that. If you write a speech, uh, if you if you write a speech that lasts seven minutes, very few audience members will remember four minutes of it, it just just right after you're done with it. I mean, like people can literally walk away. I've done this. I've I've been to about a hundred um, speech contests where I I was you know uh, emceeing it or judging it or or taking care of administration stuff. People will walk away from listening to a speech. And they will remember about half of it right after it's finished. Like literally the speaker is walking off stage. Somebody can tell you about half the points that they just listened to. You talk to them a week later. They remember none of it. They remember how they felt. And that's that's what a good story does. That's not a flaw in humanity. We're just not built to take in that much like data. What we are built to do is um, our hippocampus is a needle that only moves when hard emotions strike us and that is the the that is the etch-a-sketch of memory so like if you don't get emotional about something you don't remember it and that's that's our job is as storytellers is here's a very very strong emotion 
and you know that emotion will be the memory uh and todd i've i've seen todd do amazing with this like it, when it is intentional um you've given speeches that have just absolutely blown people away and have blown me away and it's the emotion i remember like <laughs> i i almost don't want to disappoint you by telling you how little i remember of the speeches years later but i always remember how you made me feel and that's that's kind of what we want to teach so we start in grade school by hearing that stories have a beginning a middle and an end and you can make that more complicated by looking at like the Disney structure, also known as the Freytag structure, which is it has a hook. Uh, I know that one. Rising action. Yeah, you know that one. <laughs> I know that You've, one. I, I saw this. Uh, I, saw, I was reading that they were saying about the Disney thing. Is if you notice, all the movies are about a kid being being um, not abandoned, but trying to find their parents. Yeah, being separated from their parents, <clears throat> and how. <coughs> <coughs> And even though we we give all this credit to Disney, they're just these movie geniuses. Their stories are just about that, and that's something that's so relatable to children. It's 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 a fear instilled in all of us from primal age, right? To be separated from our parents, it's unnatural. And the, then the journey and the hero to get back to our mom and dad. <laughs> They're all the same, Joe. Right? Yeah, every single one of them. If if you watch Disney. That is the, that is the Freytax triangle. Um, that's a, a model that Hans Christian Andersen used, and Disney very much believed in. Um, if you watch Star Wars, he uses a model called the Hero's Journey or the Hero's Cycle that was invented, or um, not invented, but illustrated by by Joseph Campbell. And we can get to more and more complicated structures. We can get into the seven basic plots. We can we can get crazy with this, but. Stories don't have a beginning, middle, and end if you tell them naturally and if you just listen. Um, I'm going to say beginning, middle, and end, that's wrong. They have a starting value and an end value, and that value can either be emotional or moral. And I, I kind of want to... That, that deserves having a couple of moments to sort of break that down. So if you listen to a TED Talk, you brought up TED Talks, and I think that's a great metric to go off of because they are so popular and they are so informative, and it is fairly easy to remember a TED Talk. Of the speeches, you wouldn't think that a brief 20-minute talk would give you so much information, but it does. And the values of a TED Talk, they, they are the exact same value. It is um, confusion to enlightenment. When I, when I say a value, it can be um, an emotional value where you go from, if it's Disney... Uh, you go from um, you know uh, powerlessness to power. Um, you go from I've you know I'm an orphan. I've lost my parents. Uh, this world is confusing. Um, a villain has taken something from me. It's 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 all just powerlessness. Uh, you watch the first you know ten minutes of any Disney movie. Powerless, powerless, powerless. Um, you know Simba has just had his father taken from him. He's cast out of his pride lands. Uh, he is he is confused. He doesn't know how to survive. If you are in Frozen, your your sister has run away. Her powers are out of control. Your house has been you know uh, put in a block of ice. Every Disney movie starts with you know confusion and powerlessness. And by the end of the movie, they know their place in the world. They have a new family, if not their original parents. They have power. I mean, like literally, oftentimes they will have a superpower by the end of it. Yeah, you can see them sitting at the throne at the end, being 
called King or Queen, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's just the one. I'm thinking of Shrek right now, you know. You get nothing, and then you get it all at the end. You get the woman, you win, you get the castle. It's great. Right. If you are listening to a story um, about survival, and like if, if it's in the news especially, new, news stories often do this, it is a value change or journey of um, vulnerability to strength. Um, it is, uh, I found out I had cancer, and my life was over. And by the end of that story, it should be, this is how I beat it. I'm a survivor. Everything you know in my life has has become you know fruit tastes better. Uh, um, the daylight is is more distinct to me in my eyes now. You you go from a negative value to a positive value if you're telling a positive story. In TED Talks, the <laughs> I, I remember watching a comedian who made this joke. They're like, TED Talk starts with. I was confused and it was running my life, but then I started thinking in a more enlightened way and it has changed how I thought. It changed me. Um, <laughs> you thought your way well. Yeah. <laughs> it's, see, they're so <laughs> idealistic and so, they're just so silly sometimes that I'm insulted that, like you said, that we go to them. We sit in the front row. Right. Spent very expensive tickets. And and between those two values, confusion to enlightenment, you, you there's some graphics that you'll see a, a, a pie chart, and you'll see like some some graphs, and you'll see things along the way, and they'll they'll talk about what mentor helped them or what breakthrough they had if it's a scientific TED talk, and then at the end of it, it's it's you know I've changed the way I thought, and it has changed me, and that's it's kind of a cheap cop out. I mean, this goes for almost all award winning storytelling is. If you tell the audience that all they have to do is change their mind and change the way they think, and it will benefit their life tremendously, that's not asking them to do any work. That's just saying, you know, uh, consider things the way I consider them, and and you'll be free. Um, That's like the diet, think yourself thin. Right, right? exactly. (laughs) It's the intellectual (laughs) version of think yourself thin. Um, But this, this isn't just us saying this. This isn't just... Um, saying, you know, you need a value change in your story to make it make sense. Um, have you, okay, Todd, have you ever heard of, um, there's the most boring presentation ever given uh, by Macintosh? No, I have not. A good way, I guess, to understand the difference is an experience that I had. I worked at a newspaper for five years. I used to come in and I'd sit down at one of those old-fashioned royal manual typewriters. And whether I was doing a story or an article or a, an advertisement, I'd sit down at that typewriter and I'd type away. I wish this guy was my when dad. I, finished, I'd, I'd take <laughs> I think he is everyone's dad. Back to the production <laughs> department. Now, in those days, someone would sit down at a photo typesetting machine and they would type out everything that I had laid out on a nice piece of paper. He reminds well, me of a Dilbert cartoon part, come to life. That was of sitting there getting the words on the paper, kind of the creative Well, the part, first part that I hate already, are flowing. I, uh, and this and is for any kind of communication. I don't like it when people say what we're going to go over first. Just go over it. Just go over it. Between the columns, and they would do headlines. They would take graphics or photos with subheads or sidebars, and they would make your article or your ad look the way that you wanted it to look. That's kind of the difference between word processing and, and desktop publishing. If you're still alive on the other side of that microphone, you can hit stop anytime. <laughs> I think if you say creative juices flow, you don't have any. <laughs> I, <think. laughs> I don't think anyone says that. I don't think everybody who's creative, yourself, you know, I'm a big fan of Joe's, but 
they're tortured souls trust me <laughs> I, they're not half as interesting as their stories are i'm telling you <laughs> how dare you i use the phrase creative juices five times a day at least oh god oh my god please stop it's horrible it's a horrible story okay so it's horrible his story there where he it should be interesting he he says it should when be because we're talking about it should be kind of funny the the t- talking about typewriters i can see how that could be a little bit silly yeah you know and I think, like, if you if you sprinkled in, everyone was smoking in, in the newsroom, you know? <laughs> yeah. Overdressed. Overdressed like we're all selling insurance. Or, like we're going to, yeah, like we're selling insurance or going to a funeral. You know, why are we all dressed like, so dressed up? Right. Uh, there, there have been literal TV shows about um, people working in the news, both comedies and dramas. And there, there have been, you know, movies and shows about, uh, like Mad Men is a good example. You can make, I mean, that that has drama baked into it, but he immediately gravitates toward the process. That is where we naturally try to storytell, and that is a very weak place to go from. Like, we, when you start go, telling a story... Start from where? What's that? Say, say, from where? What part again? If If you are telling a story, if you start from process, that is a weak position to storytell. Um, meaning, this man is trying to tell us about the process that he would go through when he would go from word processing and typing to, you know, printed page. If you are talking process, you've lost your audience and you have no emotion and no value change. It doesn't matter what process that is. It could be the most interesting thing on earth. You could be a doctor talking about removing a tumor, you know, from somebody's brain right before it explodes and kills them. It could be, it could be a glioblastoma and, it's going to be boring if you are only talking process if there's no value change. But if you insert, you know, the the value we're talking about, the emotional value, if you go from uncertainty to certainty, if you go from vulnerability to strength, that's what all good stories do. And if you can learn to identify that, it, it is the point and shoot of storytelling. It, it will make you better instantly in a way where I can't believe it's not taught right away i mean it, it is for some places like the, i got it from um uh mckee um the, the book i mentioned um mckee's storytelling he talks about it in screenplay that if there's no value change in a scene the scene is completely flat you have to start well, what about so yeah so in that story he was just telling let's say he started from a process approach let's say i'm telling the story right now and I started out as he's in the, he is at work and his boss is screaming at him for a deadline and he's stressed out his heart is pounding he's like I gotta quit this job I can't do the, I can't handle these deadlines and this stress anymore like he's gonna have a is that a better start for that it is it's it, it would be a starting point of vulnerability and then he says you know the thing that solved all of my stresses and my deadline issues is I finally got a word processor that would work and function the way I needed it to. And it, it, you know, my boss was incredibly surprised that this worked and that, you know, they, every, and he could go through a power, he'd go powerless to powerful, right? Exactly. That he got, he, that, that he found, that he troubleshot, they, they got someone to help him. Take, take the most boring story on earth. Like you literally should go looking for boring stories in your life, find them. And then, practice making a value change out of it practice going from either um, power to vulnerability or reverse you can do it with uh, emotions you can go from uh, certainty to uncertainty you can go from 
um, you know, uh, it, shackled and enslavement to freedom. Any emotional value change is going to have a charge. And the steeper the value change, the better it's going to be. How do you how do you um, display or how do you show what their values are in a story? Is it by the circumstances they're in, or do you just tell them this is the way I feel or this is what's going on? I know it's better to show instead of just saying, um, let's just say, you know, Jessica was was beautiful. She was gorgeous. If you say things about how Jessica was um, had long brown hair and everyone in the in the town was courting her and she was a, a she was a salsa dancer if you make them sound attractive as opposed to just saying they are it's a lot more powerful too it, it absolutely is and taking that example anytime you can use emotionally charged words and you can talk about reactions uh, uh, actions and reactions you demonstrate a lot more a lot quicker um what you said todd during that that video when we started you said he is preambling yeah, and, and the emotional thing, like a, a first, instead of saying someone's intelligent, they say they went to, you know, they went to Harvard. They speak seventeen languages. You start doing the, you know, you, that's okay. That's not process, right? That's right. Being descriptive, it's setting things up. Um, the the mistake you don't want to do is is what our recording, our poor salesman did, which is, I want to tell you about something. You know, I, I'm going to tell you about my friend Jessica, who's so hot. You don't want to do that. You that, you want to jump right. Shuts them right off. <laughs> Because our brains, our brains will will weed that off and shut that off. Yeah, <laughs> stop. We, we stop listening. Mentally filter through it. Yeah. Um, but to take your example, if I said, you know, uh, Jessica graduated Harvard, she was a salsa dancer, and tires screeched when people hit their brakes because she was so attractive whenever she crossed the street. Like, like if you put them into a a charged scene, and then you talk about a value change, and and then you say, you know. Yeah, that's how attractive she was right up until her skin condition hit her. Like you, you take people through a value change, even implying one is powerful enough to make people pay attention because they want to know what happened next. Um, and this, they want to cheer for her. They they want her to win or they want her to lose. Right. But they want to pay attention. Exactly. So that's that's lesson number one, and almost the only lesson we ever really need to give people is if your story has a good value change, like if. If it is a strong, you know, start from the absolute bottom or below the barrel and go to the top as quickly as possible, you will be a powerful storyteller, period, the end. You're, you will have people emotionally on your side. Um, if you go to your boss and say, you know, I'm crushed, I'm losing my house, everything is, is going wrong, and it's because I have these deadlines. And then at the end of that story, you say, I can deliver this to you, but I need you know, X amount of time or, or, you know, I can save this business. I, I can bring you back, you know, a half million dollars in profit. I can save this business or, or with your, your spouse, just say, you know, I love you very much. Yeah. You know, you're the light of my life. Um, I want to, you know, make things better for both of us. We need to save for, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z, a new garage, whatever. Um, your, even if it comes down to just three sentences, if you have three sentences to talk to somebody to win them over, it should be a story. You use those three sentences to tell a value change. Um, so if you're, you're having communi- communication with your boss, you just say, you know, today I thought it was my last day. I didn't think I was going to come in. You know, da, da, da. you know, just kind of set up that kind of the drama, the stakes of it. It's another thing I've struggled in my storytelling, Joe, is is not, not understanding that you can tell them a lot of information in the very, very beginning. 
Yes. And you're not spoil you're not spoiling the story, but it's important that you show tension and it's important that you show what's at stake. Whether it's a health or your job or a relationship, um, your safety. There's there's usually something or the person whoever you're telling the story about. It's okay to say almost tell them what happens, right? It doesn't ruin the story. To me, I was always looking for a twist and kind of building up to things. But in waiting to build up to things, I was losing people early. Right. Um, you do not want to build up in a story. Uh, you don't want to do a Fred Flintstone where like he starts running and his feet, you know, like 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 spin and then he gets started. We are so good as humans with story. Like like we. The, the we have been using story longer than we've been using fire. You do not need to prepare somebody for what you're about to tell them. You need to just tell them, and you need to get right into here's the lowest point of my value change, or here's the highest point that I'm about to like fall off a cliff with. Whatever your value change is, start right at it. Um, the, all good speech writers, like the best speeches we have ever heard as humans they have such dramatic value changes. Um, okay, so if we look at, for instance, Winston Churchill, his famous speech, you know, they, they have almost lost their army at Dunkirk, and, you know, the, the British are reeling, the Nazis are, are swooping down on them, they're going to lose Britain. Churchill stands up in the House of Commons and delivers just a absolute, you know, dominating... It, it, you know, the, the, the speech that everyone remembers is... You know, we will fight them on the beaches. We will, you know, fight them in the streets. We'll fight them in the hills. We, you know, we will never surrender. He starts that speech with a value change. He starts with the opposite. He starts with vulnerability. He starts with, you know, uh, um, we we're losing. Yeah, we're losing. We, you know, I expected to come into this house today and tell you about, you know, uh, that we've lost all of our men and we've capitulated and and you know, like I expected, you know, all of our people to be lost in France. I feared it would be my hard lot to announce the greatest military disaster in our long history. I thought, and some good judges agreed with me, that perhaps 20 or 30,000 men might be re-embarked. But it certainly seemed that the whole of the French First Army and the whole of the British Expeditionary Force would be broken up in the open field, or else would have to capitulate for lack of food and ammunition. These were the hard and heavy tidings for which I called upon the House and the nation to prepare themselves a week ago. He, he starts with the exact opposite and then leads up to, we will never surrender. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Every uh, Martin Luther King like um, Nancy Duarte has a TED talk that breaks down Martin Luther King's speech structure in his famous I Have a Dream speech. And what that is full of is just rapid fire value changes. Um, he, 
he switches between low value and high value so quickly. It's like a clutch in a car. And he, he starts with things like, you know, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. And then right after that, it's it's let freedom ring from the hill uh, and from every molehill of Mississippi, you know, from every mountain. He goes through these value changes so rapidly, but it works beautifully because he is a master of it. He has mastered the point and shoot of storytelling. He has mastered the here's the lowest vulnerability. Here is the highest thing we want, the, the what is and what could be. It's funny when I think of him, I think differently than most. You probably, I don't know if you're the same, but we just respect his. For for me, he's just such a great public speaker. I mean, he, and he he did his reps. He, I could just see him doing these sermons over years and improving. And you know, we we talked about it. We had a procrastination episode. I don't know if you remember. It was a long time ago. Joe. Oh, absolutely. But he was he was writing writing the speech. You know, he'd be, he'd. Be adjust, making adjustments to speeches the night before, big famous speeches in front of you know in front of the world, and he could he was good enough to incorporate <clears throat> and flexible enough to change and 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 change his wording and change his cause at the last minute. So it's I just don't know how he does it. It's amazing. I mean, it's a lifetime of work. Yeah, but but you're right. He he mastered exactly this skill I'm talking about. He mastered the ability. And you can hear it in his, his earlier speeches. It, our episode about procrastination, we talk about how he went around the, the country and he practiced, you know, a sentence of his speech here, uh, a, a, a paragraph here, and he just kept practicing exactly what we're talking about, the value change. Um, so if, if you're driving to work, you don't have to be Martin Luther King. You don't have to go around the country sermonizing to learn this. Here's what you do. Whenever you want to talk to somebody and leave them with a strong emotion, you first, like if you're driving to work and you have to convince your boss to do something, let you park near the front, give you a raise, whatever it is, you need to think about the last emotion you want them to have, the the end value. If it is empowerment, if you want to say to your boss, you know, um, you're going to give me a raise because it's it's going to benefit you. Think of the last value you're going to have in that, the, the moral value that's going to empower. And then start with the opposite. If you are trying to convince people or, or, or if you're trying to explain to people that you went through you know, a horrifying uh, medical crisis, that you almost died, you want to think about where you want to end first. Always start with the end when it comes to a value change. You want to, you know, if I'm telling you, Todd, that I survived a heart attack, I'm not going to start with... I survived a heart attack, but I'm okay now. It's all right. Don't don't you know? Don't feel too bad. I I don't want to puncture the air balloon on my own value change. I want to think about that my ending is going to be empowering, but I want to start with the lowest possible starting point first. I want to say, Todd, there was a time where I was gray skinned and shaking, you know, while we were at the table eating, and I, I you know I I was pretty sure I was going to die. And, you know, the, the doctors told me the same thing, that it was, it was certain. And then, you know, through hard work, dedication, you know, help, you know, angels came and, and, and literally helped me. And, you know, now I'm, I'm strong, stronger than ever. I, th- I thought of one that just popped into my head, Joe. Yeah, please. Um, <clears throat> years ago, I was signing up at this gym and, and the trainer came up. <clears throat> so a trainer... You like think of a trainer at the gym as being what look like a, a bodybuilder or in super good shape, right? Right. 
And and, th- and this person didn't look that way. They looked like they were in poor health. And I remember him saying this to me. He says, don't judge me as a personal trainer by the way I look. I was in a car accident and was in a wheelchair until about six months ago. I had to retrain my brain and learn how to walk again. So that right away changed my, got me emotional and like, oh my goodness. And that made me want to support this person. That is incredible. And, think, and, be, pr- and be proud to have a, a, you know, a trainer that's been through so much. I can't only imagine what I can learn from them. That is a perfect example. Like that is, yeah, that is the the end value that you start with is here is a trainer. He's moderately good health. You know, like like here's a, here's an image of success and capability and power. Now here's the vulnerability. Like like the the end value you got was cap you know capability and power. The starting point was vulnerability, and he gave you that starting point. And what an amazing change that is. <laughs> so, yeah, if if you can, start identifying where the value change is in whatever good story you hear, whatever punchline joke. Actually, I would like to talk about that, too. Every joke has a value change. Like, it's not just speeches. It's not just stories you tell day to day. Identify the value change in a joke, and it will make you funnier. Um I want to play a clip from um, the comedian Kamel Nanjiani, and he delivers a short story on Ellen. And the reason I want to play this is I want you to identify the value change. So I'm not going to spoil it. I just want to sort of listen to, you know, the, the joke. Oh, this happened recently. I was sleeping, and at four in the morning, my, she woke me up, and she's like, do you smell that? And I go, I smell something. So I go, yeah, I I do smell something. And she goes, what do you think it is? And I go, I don't know. And she goes, I think it's trouble. Um, (laughs) And before I could say anything, she's got her laptop open and she's Googling smells. Because there's no Shazam for smells, you know? Uh, So what she finds is it's probably, in a message board, she finds what it probably is. Probably, it's just, probably just a wire on fire in one of the walls, and you know, tonight you're all going to perish. Um. He's telling a story about the wife. It's funny, and then he's making light of it could be a, life, a life-threatening life thing. Right, right. The <laughs> house could be on fire, we could perish. <laughs> so I go, I open the door, and there's three tall firemen. They're men, you know? They're taller than me in every way, physically and spiritually. Uh- <laughs> Because I'm never with, like, men, you know? I'm like, I hang out with stand-up comedians. It's whatever this is, is it's more of this. <laughs> and I kind of want to yell to Emily, like, Emily, they're real men! <laughs> There's men outside our home! It's exciting. <laughs> and they go, you called about the smell, and I'm like, yeah. They said, you mean the skunk? And I was like, oh! That is what that is. And then there's this awkward moment where I have to be like, do, do you guys want to come inside? And they're like, no, we, we're men. We have to go fight fires. Whenever you're watching comedy or you, you listen to a great storyteller, all you have to do to get better, I mean, like literally, is just listen for the value change and it will make you better. So the one he just did there, the, there's going to be an overall value change throughout his story. His value is going to go from... Well, that is uncertainty because they don't know what the smell is. They don't know what the, the potentially burning wire is. What do you think it is? 
comfort to discomfort or or from you know security to insecure because he's like and now we smell something that could potentially kill us and that's where the humor is the humor is in the value change and, and getting there in an unexpected way if we handed this story off to our uh, mac salesman god bless him the most boring man on earth um he would deliver the story without a value change he would say you know that that, that he had found a skunk or that, that a skunk had died in the walls or, or something. Like, he would start with, here's the thing that caused the problem uh, without a value. And he would just say, he would give you the process. He would say, oh, you know, we, we woke up. Like, like you know, there's a skunk in the wall. The smell got to Stink. us. We woke up. You know, my wife thought it could have been a burnt wire. I didn't think that. You know, we called the fire department. They came. They verified that it, it was a, a skunk, not burnt wires. I went back upstairs. Like, it would have been... The process of what happened, no value change. Whether I was doing a story or an article or a, an advertisement, I'd sit down. At what we what we got obviously is is amazing. It's it's uncertainty. You know, you wake up, everything could be bad. It could be the worst possible scenario. Like he does what we what we talked about. He he doesn't just start with uncertainty as a low value. He digs below the floor to find what's the worst possibility. How could it be possibly, you know, like, like, let's go a little bit deeper, a little bit more down. It's not just, it could be a burnt wire. It's, it could be a burnt wire. I know we're all going to perish. Like, <laughs> so he, he digs lower for the, the lowest possible starting point of that value. And then it eventually moves up to the highest possible point in that value, which is, you know, like certainty. He's aiming towards certainty, but not just certainty. It's the people delivering that certainty are the most certain they could possibly be. Like it's it's firemen who have experience who intimidate him. Like like you cannot get a higher authority yeah. on the subject, <laughs> and he he makes you emotionally feel that with the whole crack about you know they're they're bigger than him, physically and spiritually, and and they're they're yeah they are absolute certainty. So it the the value change isn't just present there in that joke. It is ultra present it goes from the least certain and possibly dangerous to the most certain and it's great like it's it's the best well i think this addresses um what everyone thinks about telling we're all a little afraid that we're not going to be good at it or or it's going to come off as too canned and not authentic not the way we talk but this is all scripted but it doesn't sound like it is it doesn't sound fake and phony no and it is it's all prepared. He prepared every every word of this, but it doesn't seem like it. It seems like he's just just chatting, just telling us something that happened at his right. house. Yeah, he he practiced every and inflection. It's not as fun. It's as funny because of the way he's doing it, right? It, it's not funny that a skunk died in your in your wall. It's not funny at all. Right. <laughs> it's not even interesting, but the way he tells it makes it interesting and funny because of the structure. Now, in storytelling, um, you know. We love the sound of our own voices. The I, I, I is the most common word used. Are stories better when they're about other people? When we take, when we make an example and take it off of ourselves. Okay, so we, as as experienced speech writers and people who've delivered speeches, I have argued and championed talking about other people a lot. Um, you and I have heard so many, I mean, like literally award-winning contest speeches where people get up and they talk about their own journey and the line we're kind of given, especially with the way sort of the internet works today, you know, with social media and stuff, 
we are convinced that the only truth that we can share is our truth. And that's not going to be the most compelling story most of the time. Um, well, I think, too, when you talk about yourself, you you, I think personally when someone starts telling me what they've been through, I, I kind of get the, you know, it, it comes off as a lecture of their bragging yes. to me. And then when they talk about someone they knew who's done these great things or, or had these tough times and come through it, 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 does, it takes that off. I don't think they're doing that. I think they're bragging about someone else, and that makes me like them more. Absolutely. A, a good storyteller is selfless. A, a good storyteller lets somebody else be the hero. In, in that, you know, in almost every example we have heard so far, the storyteller isn't saying, I'm the hero of this, I live through this, you should learn from my experiences. You know, they're not making it about themselves. And, and honestly, the worst TED Talks we've seen are about people saying, I'm a survivor, you know, and, and this is my story. Those can be compelling, but they're ultimately not awarding, like, like they're, they're not being rewarding toward the listener. They're somebody talking about their own experience and saying what it means to them, and that's great. They had an experience, and it means something to them. That's fantastic for them, but not for us, the audience. Uh, in that, yeah. Well, I think... T- I think sometimes, too, I think people, you know, they're thinking, well, um, the famous people's stories are more interesting. That's why they're famous, right? They, they won the Super Bowl or they wrote this great book or whatever they did, whatever they, they saved these lives at war. But I know when you do the right structure and you do the strong value change, um, you can talk about a food cart and it's just as interesting as a World War II life or death situation. Right. <laughs> if you do this, it really works. I mean, and if you ever wonder why you're kind of leaning in, I'll give you an example that Amer- um, American Pickers is a story about people driving around buying garbage from hoarders all over the country. I have no interest in antiques or any of that, but I watch that show and hang on every word because of the story arc. Absolutely. <laughs> because of Because of how they feed it to me. I've been watching uh, a lot of the Ameri- or the the Great British Bake Off lately, and <laughs> it's the same thing. It's, it's you drier. would think that there's nothing interesting in, in watching people quietly put you know, um, you know sugar, flour, and eggs together, but they do a story arc. It's it's you know they they're you know they feel intimidated by the the challenge it's it's going to be very difficult they they go off screen to explain how difficult it's going to be they come back and and you know the the value is obviously you know unsureness and and you know like like challenge and and you know not knowing and then by the end of the the bake they have figured it out they have you know struggled they've almost run out of time and they have something incredible like like they it's it's applying this value change in the story arc to something that is actually very boring <laughs> and it makes it very compelling um but that's selfless like like the thing is is you're not listening to those bakers say you know hey i made an amazing cake here's how i did it you're not listening to those pickers say you know uh i'm going to apply my expertise to this watch me you know like it's it's actually telling it from a third person right. it's it's this artifact if if it's american pickers it's this metal sign belonged to this gas station that went under because, you know, they challenged the county and the county came back and shut them down and then they were vandalized because, like, like they tell a story and they tell it in a value yeah. change. The same thing with the bakers. They, you know, it's, it's not just um, Paul Hollywood is the host of that show. It's not just him saying, 
I know a lot about baking. You never hear about him and his baking experience and his years and years and years in baking. He tells you a story about these people who are struggling in his kitchen, and, and he gives you a story arc. And the same, like all those shows, and I, I, I have to keep going on, on to TV shows, but this is this is a real good, I think, lesson in just basic short storytelling. The shows are like the Pawn Stars. The That's what happens. These people come in. There's nothing interesting about selling something to a pawn right. shop. But the person comes in, tells you the story of either their family, like you said, the grandfather had this da-da-da, or... Even more interesting, Elvis Presley had this at his house and you know on his ranch and da 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 da. And then there's the tension of will they accept the offer? Right. And we're hanging like it has no no inflict on our life. Who gives a shit if they get five dollars or five hundred thousand dollars to us? But it's interesting because we want to know the outcome. Exactly. We want to see how this plays out, and we're cheering for this person. You Once know? you start the ramp to that value change, whether it's down or up. People want to reach the end. Like, it is so compelling that they, they have to. They have to sit in for it. Um, and that requires the storyteller to take themselves out of it a little bit. Um, everybody in your audience wants to be the hero of the story. You have to give that to them. And that's something that um, advertising knows very, very well, is um, a bad advertisement will say that the the product is the hero. That if I'm, if I'm Audi... I tell you that my car engineers and my car is the hero of this and, and we want to give it to you and you know pay us money. No, no, no. A, a good advertisement shows you as the hero. It shows somebody who is stressed and having a bad day and then it shows somebody who's driving their vehicle and they're having a great day and they have no care in the world whatsoever. It has a value change baked into it and it also has you as the potential hero if if you're in advertising, you, the thing you sell them is the magic sword that's going to make them literally slay a dragon or, or be the hero of the story. I got a good one for yeah. you, Joe, on the commercial front. So we have a man, and he's sitting at home with his family, and his family is yelling at him that they're bored and that they want to go to their friend's house, and he wants them to spend time with him. So he goes out, and, and he buys a pool, and you can see him in his head dreaming about it. And he sees all his family, his wife smiling at him as he plays with his kids. And his kids are all there and their friends come over. And he's literally floating in this pool with this grin of, I'm the greatest dad in the world. Right. <laughs> he made himself the hero. And you're watching that thinking, I wish I was that I wish that guy was my dad or I wish I was him. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's so cheesy, but it works. Yeah, a, a, a good value change and making the people listening to you the hero even if they've done nothing, if it's just the audience listening, you, you want to give that to them. That's what a good storyteller does. Um, if you want to train yourself to do this, by the way, if, if you want to get good fast, whenever you're sitting there watching Ellen and you hear a guest like start telling a, a funny story or you, you watch videos on YouTube, that, that's a good way to do it. it like, this is like weightlifting for storytellers. Go watch a movie, go watch something on YouTube, a, a comedian short clip, a sales pitch, whatever, you know, watch a commercial and tune your brain to filter out all the extraneous details, all the unrelevant stuff. Like when, when Kamel starts talking about like our, our movie did this well, we, you know, like we're sitting in bed, like all the, all the little details along the way, 
listen lightly for it, but 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 strain it out, filter it out, and only pay attention to the value change. Is it a positive value that they're beginning with? How positive? Is it sky high? Is it the most positive possible? Well, then we're going to have to come crashing down. Are they starting with a negative value? Is it is it a bad emotion? Is it a bad you know value? And how low? Could could they have gone lower? It's not just, you know, we smell a wire or we smell a skunk or we smell something. Can they dig lower to start at a lower value? It's, oh, we're all going to perish. (laughs) If you can train yourself to do that, you'll never do a process-based story again. You'll never do, you know, the boring Mac guy where it's like, well, in my day, we would take it from the copy and then they would process and then they would type it in and then we would print. It's like, no, no, no. You will be looking for this value change in your own speech and your own stories and and you know people will listen like you i mean literally you'll become the shaman of your family you will start telling these short stories and everybody will pay attention and i think that oh you touched on something that something i've seen the some of the people we've worked with on our uh, just preparing them for presentations corporate presentations how, how we push this button that Talking about how you feel about a thing is more important than the, you know, just the every single detail. I, I find that a lot of people put too much detail, and they they leave out all the emotion. They leave out about a hundred percent. Can you can you tell them what the balance should be? Because you do want some content, some info, but how much of it should be emotion? And I, I know I know it depends. But. Right. I I think a good example might not be uh, uh, focusing on emotion is is always going to be my biggest thing. If you I'll put it this way. Um, instead of having a percentage, have it be the target. Your end goal of your story is an emotion. If you paint that target before you grab your bow and take 10 step, steps back, you're going to be so much better off. Um, I worked with a, um, a city councilwoman, uh, Kate, and her stories were really, really, really interesting because she was like, like neck deep in politics all the time. And like, you know, she had had so much happening in her life at the time that, that I was working with her, like her, her mother had passed and she had survived cancer and she was working on all of these stories about like, you know, helping a, it's like the fastest growing city in Oregon is what she was working with and being a councilwoman while they were having this infighting and then black lives matter started. And all of her stories were the most interesting thing I had ever heard. But when she delivered them, she talked about philosophy. She would talk about the secret and she would talk about, you know, rhetoric and and she would get super dense and she would start going into you know her, her life philosophies which were a good way to approach things but you can't learn it in the span of a speech and if you could you would have to tell a story to to relay it and and that's that's where it lacked the emotion it it needed that emotion it needed a, a target you know it needed to have a value at the end and the value there i think i told her this was you should paint your target to be empowerment that you know you had all this confusion and chaos and disorder in your life everything was as negative as it could be in this situation you found this philosophy that you were working on and you know it it made everything clear you had big successes in in city council you you know you, you were able to come to terms with a death in the family you you want to paint the emotional target and the end value first, and that will. Well, but I, yeah. I I think you touched. I want to I want to rewind that because you touched on something there. Um, working again with corporate people, telling a good story 
can take a 40 minutes of going on and on and being repetitive and a real, you know, in eight to 10 minutes, it can be memorable and there can be takeaways and you can really get your people to take action based on that less, right? (laughs) I'd say less amount of work, but just better choice of words in telling it in a story. If you frame things as a story, it will cut your rambling in half just by doing that, just by having an end value you're aiming for. Half of the things you're talking about will seem unnecessary once you paint that value, once you paint that target. This is the emotion I want to end with. This is the value I want to end with. Well, suddenly half the things you're going to talk about with process are no longer relevant. And I guarantee they weren't relevant to start with to your listener. (laughs) I'm sorry to say that it's a bit harsh, but once you have an emotion you're aiming for, if you're in corporate, oftentimes the emotion you're aiming for is empowerment. You're trying to empower your team to do their best work. So you paint that target of empowerment and then you go back and say, here's where we are now. And you make it bleak. I think... I think that is a parenting tool too, you know, to get your kids to, I hate the, I hate that term, get your kids to, but when you tell them a story about something that happened, well, what do we say? When I was your age, right? right? We find we're, we're giving these kids, a, but if you try the approach of somebody else, someone that they look up to, whether it's an athlete, an actor, uh, someone, a celebrity of some sort, doesn't that seem like a more powerful way to listen? It does. And, The story you're going to be telling a lot, once you see this and you start practicing it, if you're talking to your kids or your spouse or you're delivering at work, whatever you're doing, 99% of the values you're going to give people that you're going to change from, you're going to be aiming for um, positive. You're going to be aiming for empowerment. When you talk to your subordinates at work, you're trying to empower them to do something. Like Even if it is negative, even if they screwed up, and they, they didn't make their sales quota yeah. or they let something slip or they didn't put it in an order. You're not trying to punish them. You're always trying to empower them for the next time. Your, your kids and spouses need the same thing. You are almost always going to tell a arc of empowerment. You're, you're going to start with, you know, we did not, you know, like we, we mm-hmm. didn't make the car payment. We are losing that car. But you want to end it with, you know, we're going to get a better car next year. And, you know, it's because we are so good at this. Like, come on, guys. When we all come together, we can do, you know, amazing things. You you want that. Yeah, when yeah. I was, yeah. right. You can say, if, if it's a work situation, too, you can do the one where it's a, you know, I had this situation happen at my previous job. And, and we lost, you know, we lost six people on our team of 16. Um, we got started getting less hours. And then you can flip the switch and say, but this is what we did and this is what we're going to do here. So you start out with this, this might cost us our job, to you're being empowered, you're going to get more responsibilities because you're the person that can pull us out of this. So then it becomes true opportunity and empowerment, right? Exactly. Yeah. Focusing on the opportunity. Well, I think the storytelling arc is so interesting because I have a bad habit of if I like a movie, I'll watch it 700 times. And what's funny is I get the same feeling every time I watch it. Like, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder if they're going to get through it this time. <laughs> of course they are. I've already seen it. <laughs> but it, those emotionals, that I'm, I'm, what I'm addicted to is not the story. It's the emotion, right? Yeah. It's, it's, that, it's that winning at the end that you talk about. 
that's why we watch the sports movies where the at the end of the movie they win the game and they they get the girl and they end up at the dance right they're all the same right <laughs> it always ends with a trophy and sometimes if you're the karate kid or if you're in star wars you end up with a literal actual trophy at the end to show to the audience that here's how positive the value at the end is <laughs> so for the love of God, stop telling your philosophies to people, and please, start telling stories. You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.